do, do, do. Man, the boxes I'm using today are uh, a bit bigger than normal, so I can't really reach anything. Okay. This week, Kai, we're ordering stands for our microphones. Okay. We can't deal with those boxes anymore. So, um, Slack changed their logo, but who cares? So, we were talking in the pre-show about... But they don't say app button anymore in their description. Ah. Yeah. They, they learned. They, they learned. I think they listened to us. Yeah. So, now they said app logo, I think. App icon. App icon. Ah. Well done, nerds. You have done us well. All you're complaining on Twitter, Slack has heard us. So, so we were talking a little bit about RX Swift, and oh, then yeah. that led Kai to say something along the lines of, and Kai, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something along the lines of uh, all the time spent uh, overcoming the learning curve of RX Swift is probably not saved in the time you save in development, or something like that. Anyway, I was wondering if either of you uh, saw the tweets this week uh, talking about Swift and Objective-C and productivity and all that mm. kind of thing. And I think some of it was sparked by like Gruber and Marco Armin and people like that. Um, did either of you see any of the complaints about Swift? Yeah, I've seen I've seen them flying. I didn't by. see them this week, but I have heard them uh, <laughs> from okay, from yeah. many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting, and it sort of is the learning curve worth it, and all of that. And you know, some people say it is, and some people say it isn't, but. I think the general consensus of the tweets that I saw was that the learning curve for Swift is actually not huge and the time saved is probably better because, you know, just like all the problems that come with Objective-C, you don't have to worry about using Swift. Um, But then I guess it's kind of contrary to what we were saying about learning something like Rx Swift, um, which I think we're all in the camp of really is only beneficial in a few uh, circumstances. Yeah, but I think... I do think the f- the difference with learning Swift for coming from Objective-C is that you continue using Cocoa Touch, right? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things and like uh, things like Cocoa Touch and UI Kit and Foundation that's going to stay the same. So to that sense, it's not it's not like you're learning a completely new way of working or anything. Whereas I think Rx Swift is a very different style of programming, and it's uh, it's a it's a bit more to learn to it. It's not it's not learning a language. But I think a language is usually not the hardest part to learn when you're picking up a new sort of way of working um, as a developer. So I think, I don't yeah. know, I think it's very different because of that. And also, the thing with Rx Swift is that you sort of, I mean, it adds a dependency to your, co- to your, um, yeah. to your yeah. code base, right? Yeah. Um, so there are some downsides of that. I'm not saying, like, I think Rx Swift can be useful, and I think it can be quite like fun to play around with too but i think you should probably see it like you should be honest and think about like do i really need this is it mostly for fun if it's mostly for fun do it like i don't think that's a problem either. for me i don't know the, the discussion about objective c and swift it just kind of, it, it just doesn't matter <laughs> i mean just use whatever you feel drawn to and makes you happy and if that happens to be swift or objective c go with it as long as everyone in your team uses the same language to work on the same product <laughs> i think we're fine if you if you everyone picks the language they want to on the project you're working on it's probably going to be a huge mess but as long as you group people together that want to use the same tools to build a product 
fine, whatever. Whatever you think is the best thing for you to get your work done. And if that happens to be Objective-C, cool, go for it. If that happens to be Swift, that's fine. If you need to write parts of it in C, okay, whatever. As long as... I mean... <laughs> The the tech stack doesn't matter if you can solve the problems in a way that you think makes it a good product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes something like Rx Swift might help you solve that, but I think sometimes and I mean, it some can people be have very specific, complicated. Some people might have very specific requirements where Rx Swift makes a lot of sense. And then, sure, go for it. As long as the team thinks it's either, number one, worth to experiment because it's a small thing and everyone in the team wanted to experiment with it, go for it. If that's that's your mindset, or you already have people that have a lot of experience with it, and now they w they think this is a really good way of solving a particular problem, then that might also be worth it. You just look at the benefits of if it's only one person that knows about it, and 120 people who've never touched it might not still not be a good idea. But like, just look at the situation you're in, look at the people you're working yeah. with, and and figure out how you want to get your your work done and if you can, how to get the work done in the happiest and most uh, exciting way possible. I wasn't, uh, as I said, like I didn't like to read this specific conversation, but I do understand from Marco's point of view that it could be a difficult... This uh, It might not be worth it for someone like him who is uh, working by himself as, a, as an indie developer. I think if you have a code base that works well in Objective-C, uh, it might not be worth the time to spend to um, like invest investigate time into uh, learning Swift just because you want to sort of like jump on the train. But at the same time, I think for like a team, um, it can be, it can be like a great learning, like a, a great experience to learn something new. It can be a great reason to rewrite things that you might have written before. And if you have a lot of like code depth, it can actually be like your, your opportunity to clean that up at the same time as you pick up a new feature and pick up a new language. I think um, in that sense, it can be, It can be refreshing to rewrite things from scratch because you get other benefits from it. Um, but I also think it's quite Swift is quite an attractive language. So uh, having a code base is Swift is something that I think many people are excited about. And I think you should try to like if if this is something you feel like uh, you you're gonna get like joy from, or if you're gonna learn from uh, like picking up a new language. I think that's that's a really good reason too. Um, and I do think you might i mean looking at the fact that like apple is actually switching a lot towards swift i think it will also be harder and harder to write new features in objective c and find new resources in objective c once new frameworks come out from apple uh, so for that point of view it might be beneficial to start picking up something like swift for new features that you're adding and i think maybe for someone like marco that makes sense too and i think he's it sounds like he's done that uh, just from listening to atp I think he started picking up some things in Swift, but I think you should think about it. Like I said, you should think about it from your use case. Like what makes sense at that point? If you're an indie developer and you don't have unlimited resources, maybe it doesn't make sense to rewrite your whole code base if your code base is nice. But if you have a code base that needs to be rewritten anyways, um, Swift is a good option. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't like Swift. I mean, I, I use Swift yeah, you uh, monster. for... For everything I'm I'm doing at the moment, like even for for backend stuff, like I think you're like the swift, the most swifty person, like in But, uh, out of all of us. Like you write it in uh, on your backend server, you really picked it up on day one. Mm. Uh, I mean, both of us, as soon as it was re released, we were like, "This is so exciting!" And then everything kept on crashing. 
<laughs> <laughs> but I also I understand I, I, I understand why th- those kind of things turn into good discussions a lot. I mean overall I, I find the Swift community quite nice and, and welcoming. But I feel there's definitely a strong uh difference or a strong sense of defending the choice of writing Swift in the Swift community that I feel like is sometimes maybe a bit over the top. Um, and I understand why that might also keep some people that write Objective-C away because it seems like a lot of people that write Swift are kind of looking down on people that haven't switched yet. But I just think that is, I mean, a weird, weird attitude to have. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, like it's I said- also like certain things we couldn't do with Swift before, right? If you wanted to ship uh, frameworks, you couldn't do that before Swift mm. 5 or 5.1 even. Um, so it's also just for depending on what you're doing, it might just not be feasible to do it at this point in time. Yeah, and, and like I said, like I feel like it's not picking up a new language like Swift is not very like it's not like you're writing a completely new platform. It's not like you're moving to um, like it's not like you're becoming a backend developer just because you pick up Swift. I think it's weird that it's still sort of like. It's it's weird, like you, the thing that you mentioned, Kai, is weird that people sort of people who are on the Swift side sort of look down on people writing Objective C. I think that's terrible because like we're still writing for the same platform. I'm not saying we should look down on people who write on different platforms, but I think um, <laughs> we can still have a discussion. Like I can easily talk to someone who writes Objective C in their everyday, and we can solve the same problem uh, because we're on the same platform and we have similar. But issues. also, realistically, who cares? I've never talked to a developer about what they're working on mm. and was drawn towards did you write it in objective c or swift i i care yeah. about the product people work I on know, but I think and not on the language or uh i don't i don't care do you use you know i don't care about language features they might have used i'm like how many um how many classes that you wrote are generic who cares yeah no one cares let's yeah. let's stop wasting That's time and our like why why do we discuss that? It's just uh. okay. We stop now. <laughs> no, 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 not us. It's just I feel like there's so many people that are so protective and so uh, so strongly uh, uh, trying to protect the reason and everything that Swift does, which I sometimes also find exhausting. When I see on Twitter someone talking about why why specific things in Swift are like the way they are, I'm like I I I'm, I care a lot more about the product you're building rather than the the tools you're but using. But I think that's for the it. same. That's the same when it comes to things like which architecture, like which which type of software architecture you're following. Yeah, I think some people think of it in a very religious way. Like I moved over to Viper now, I'm gonna keep on writing Viper. I don't think it's yeah. That- now I write a rap one app that has one table view that fetches some JSON, displays it, but I have 12 classes yeah. for the data source and another 12 for the <laughs> uh, view preparation. It's just... Yeah, like I think I think this is a similar type of discussion. I think it doesn't... You should look at everything from case on a case-to-case basis. I think you choose which architecture you want to do depending on the app you're writing and depending on the other circumstances around. I think it's the same with language. If you wanna if you're an experienced Objective C developer and you want to write something quickly, maybe it makes sense to continue with Objective C if you don't have the resources. Yeah, if you want to like, learn something new and if you potentially want to be an attractive employer, um it makes sense to pick up Swift because people are excited about Swift. But yeah, but also just you have to think about like, it from like a case to case basis. Yeah. Yeah, talk to the team and figure out what's best for the team. If your team is only one person, that's yourself. To pick the one that you either already I don't think you have to talk to yourself, though. I mean, if that helps. 
but like figure out what what you want to do and uh i mean like stepping back and learning a different language i mean we're also talking about objective c and swift it's not like we encourage people to write uh write native apps here <clears throat> ew no <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean no i don't think you can write better apps with um swift that you couldn't write with objective c right yeah and we talk a lot about particularly around hardware using the right tool for the right job or you know the, the hardware that makes the most sense and that i think that applies to our choice for software tooling as well <laughs> and you know yeah i think we should just use an ipad for everything <laughs> <laughs> but i also feel like there there's those two languages are so close to each mm. other with what you can do with them and how you can build your product um, that the discussion is less like if you look at like Flutter, React Native and Swift um, like native Swift code mm -hmm. versus Flutter and React Native it's very different of a discussion yeah. because yeah, I mean, but you don't focus on the f yeah some people focus on whether or not you want to write JavaScript or you want to write Swift but I don't think that's the core reason why people are against something like React Native. It's, I mean, maybe partly, it partly is, but I think there are many other parts to it. Uh, like, I think if you write React Native, you get a lot of other downsides that are not related at all to which language you're using. Yeah. Um, I think you would probably also get some downsides if you could write Swift cr cross-platform too. Mm. Um, so I think it's more about that in that discussion. You should talk about whether or not you want to have the downsides of cross-platform um, apps or not. Yeah. And at some point, we, we we might get to a point where Apple makes a decision for us anyway, if there are any Swift-only um, APIs in on the roadmap. Uh, at some point, Apple will make that decision. And then, I mean, there will be some people that will say, ha, look, we, we've done Swift four, five, six, whatever, many years now, and you have to start. But that also means those people didn't have to go through a Swift 1 to Swift 2 migration. <laughs> As an example of a pain point that is uh, with me for the rest of my life, <laughs> um, it's just I, I I just don't think it matters as much. So I when I saw that I was like, oh man, I should really not use Twitter for a while again. <laughs> it's like every time I, it, it feels like I turn reading Twitter at the moment feels like you turn on your TV and you see some reality TV show and you're like, oh man, now I remember why I don't watch TV. That's kind of how I feel at the moment. Every time I check Twitter, it's like, oh, what is what is the debate here today? Uh, not interested. And turning it off again. Anyway. Yeah, no fair point. Um, <laughs> for context, for context, I have found the, the tweet that started it all. And it was, add up all the time you spent learning Swift from scratch, accommodating its strictness, fighting its buggy tools, migrating your code through language changes and relearning APIs and conventions as they've changed over the last five years. I've spent zero time doing that. Anyway, I, I thought it was interesting to read through the replies. Yeah, but therefore it's a perfect opportunity to pick it up today. <laughs> exactly. Or in, in a month or so, because there was Swift 5. Exactly. It's going to be amazing. Exactly. Anyway. Um, no, but you do you do get a few, a bit fewer downsides once Swift 5 is out. Yeah, no, I think the downsides are slowly, slowly leaving. But it's also like when, when I picked up Swift, I was in a very different point in my life. I wasn't building a already successful product and uh i didn't have i didn't have income i was i was like a student and i i i thought hey this is a good time to learn learn a new language um it's also it really depends on where you are in your personal life and in your personal state of your career whether it makes sense or not hmm. um 
So I think it's just those kind of discussions where where people discuss what other people should do are often not really getting anywhere because you would have to consider every, everyone else's every partaker in that discussions current state in their life and in their careers and people seem to do, do only want to project are, whatever they want to do are people just not able to empathize with other people <laughs> i'm sorry but like seriously everything is not that black and white people learn in different ways people have different different priorities in life people are in a different state in life i think it's so weird how people just try to project their way of seeing the world onto everyone else and think that everyone else is an idiot <laughs> i'm sorry this is so frustrating look if you're not using shortcuts to write ios apps i don't know what you're doing with your life <laughs> <laughs> But really, like, do people have no sense of other people's <laughs> yeah, situation? That, that will be the dub dub announcement. <laughs> you know what, guys? You're all annoying. We deprecated Swift and Objective C, and now shortcuts is the language we're going forward. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, I mean, yeah. Well, that was an interesting discussion. <laughs> I, I, I mean, in a, in a way, I agree, but more on the on the level of. I don't know why it is. I wonder if if it's a result of people being less and less like developers in large companies seem to be more and more um separated from what the product is and the development on the product itself. And I wonder if if having that or being forced to be that distance to product development leads people to double down and triple down on the things they can influence, which is usually the tech stack. I wonder if that has an impact on people being so protective. And uh, because I see that in, in large, co or not even in large companies, but in general in companies where, where engineering is kind of separate from product development, that people are almost religiously um, defending the architecture that has been picked for the app or religiously defending uh, technical decisions that were made. Um, well, I have a way more of an, an attitude towards, all right, what, what makes us a better product? I don't care what the architecture is unless it helps us achieve what we want to achieve. But I, I just wonder if this, like separating teams that work on the product so much from decisions in the product makes people cling more to the things that they can influence. I don't know. Is that actually a new phenomenon? Because I feel like that would have been the case for more established languages for a longer time. And more established platforms for a longer time. I don't know if it's actually a new phenomenon or if it potentially is the nature of the iOS platform. I think uh, back in Objective-C days and back when iOS started to become popular, more people were in the developers. So they were potentially having, maybe they were having more of a product view on things. Whereas now I think many people who are iOS developers are can be in more established companies and I think they can be in a bit more of a, like a bigger company and a, a different structure company than you were 10, day, uh, ten, ten days, days ago, ago. <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, I think it's just a very different uh, sort of um, people work, people who work in iOS might be working in very different structures today. Um, but I feel like this is something that you would have had for other things like uh, web development for a really long time. So I don't know if it's something that's actually a new, new phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, right, without having a lot of uh, samples to go by. But mm. in general, it seems like indie developers are forced to be more pragmatic because they don't have as much... Yeah, you can't spend too long time 
like I said, if you're an indie developer, you might not be able to spend time changing over to Swift, and you might not be able to spend time to separate all the logic from your view control that shouldn't be in there. I think uh, you might not have have the time. You have to be a bit more, or at least you feel that way, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to say as an indie developer. You have to make sure you get your income. Yeah, and whatever you think gets there. Uh, is is what you decide to do, and usually you don't think you will have more income if you uh, move all your classes into separate modules and then rewrite everything in Swift. That is usually not a good income source. Yeah, but it might also be that um, more people have, or iOS apps are more successful now, so there are more people working on one product. I think that was not really the case, uh, like five, eight years ago. I mm-hmm. think today there's so many people working, so you have more time for those type of things. You have more time to decide which language to go with. You have more time to have those religious discussions about which type of um, which type of architectural pattern you should use. And I think that can be good and bad. It might lead to a better product, um, but it can also be problematic because um, it can lead to people being... <laughs> I think it can also lead to people being a bit more... Like they, they really dig in on the specifics, but but that's something you couldn't afford before because you didn't have enough big a big enough team. So I'm trying to come up with a good analogy, but I feel like if you have other problems, like thinking of, if if you don't have any dedicated designer, you might be the person who's also designing an app. And I think then you have other problems that you have to deal with, and you have other things you have to spend your resources on. Then if you have like a ten ten people team and you have dedicated design team and you have dedicated people for all different parts of the product, I think. Um, then you will have more time to write those things. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I think that's why you get more religious type of discussions about those very niche parts of a nap. Yeah, but it also depends, right? It's like I've I've talked to people that do not care at all about the product that they're working on at work. So the only thing they do care about is the technology side of things, even though there might be more room for tech people to be involved in product discussions mm-hmm. they just don't care about the product at all yeah and i think that's really can be quite problematic because i think then you're going to be very fanatic uh, on something something else that might not be overall beneficial for the mm. product but if that's the one thing you care about um you're going to spend more time on that um and i think yeah. overall it's it's probably um the, again very somewhat limited sample size but the, the people that i was talking to that really care about the product made decisions that are best for the product, not necessarily always the best or cleanest architectural decisions. Um, it's There are probably uh, also other people that do the exact opposite, but overall, I mean, yeah. So your um, argument is inconclusive. <laughs> Zach, was there anything in particular you were talking about? I just thought it was interesting to see see the, all the different takes on like the, both sides of the, the equation there. Um, and it's also funny how passionate people can be about their their opinion. Um, mm. Maybe unnecessarily so, but mm. anyway. Yeah, it's <laughs> I wonder if they're the same in other industries, if there are people that are that passionate about which, which brand of hammer you're using. I'm sure there would be. I feel like this is a, it's a human thing, right? Yeah. You get passionate. Is it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen people discussing that about coffee. Mm. But I feel like coffee is a great, great I mean, thing to be really fuzzy about. It's because very you different don't... because you eat your coffee, you're not eating your coat. <laughs> <laughs> eating your coat, title. Um, but I know people who are fairly loyal. Like I think this applies to brands and 
commercialization of things and people who are very loyal to particular brands and you know someone who wouldn't even think about buying say adidas shoes and instead they'd always buy nike shoes or who wouldn't buy an lg tv but they'd always buy a sony like i think that there's that kind of thing and i guess this is just it's probably less um you're less loyal to a brand here but your people are loyal to technology i don't know i think it's i think it's Mm. normal yeah, and but with something like that, it's also when people disagree with you, I, f- I feel like some people think that um, they imply that you made a bad decision, right? If if I see that a lot with like game console or like, I don't know if that's still the case, but like a few years ago, there were always those kind of discussions about uh, Xbox versus PlayStation and then people battling each other online for hours. Uh, instead of playing games, but Apparently I do understand it's, it's that because I think, um, but I think buying a console is—it used to be a big investment. It, I mean, it's still for, for many people, it's still an expensive product. It's like if if you were the one deciding to go with an Xbox and you realize that many games are coming out for other platforms and people keep on telling you this, it's going to be very frustrating. I think people will be defensive because they spent so much money on this. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly the same with things like. But I I don't think I, I, again the the thing is. I, I think what lacks there is the empathy of understanding what what other people drove to that decision. Yeah, yeah. Like if you if you're sorry, Zach, we're losing you here. I I think, but if you're like you you just love Halo and Halo is the only game you're playing, it would be really not a good decision to buy a PlayStation Four and a Switch. Yeah, yeah. Because you will not play Halo. It just makes no sense. And if if you're if you're if you're super passionate about that game series, you have to buy the hardware that runs that. Yeah. Um, but I mean that that is really important to consider all the things that went into that discussion yeah. uh, or into that decision. They're super valuable, and doesn't mean. And realistically, that person shouldn't argue that everyone should buy an Xbox. The person can say, "Hey, I think Halo is a great game series." Yeah. If everyone you're in my should, situation, you should go with it. Yeah, and if if you like it, you should buy an Xbox. You'll really enjoy the, mm. the Halo games or whatever. I think it's the same with like iOS or Android. I think if you're not a very passionate person about either of the platforms and you're not a very technical person and someone in your family has one of the plat- has a device on one of the platform and can help you out with your device like in that case it might yeah. make sense to just go with what that person recommends because they know your situation so yeah if you if you hate smooth scrolling you just buy an android phone and no but like i think i think everyone has different circum- different reasons i think um you should always think about that like yeah. people most people tend to make decisions for a reason some people might not but if you spend so much money on such on that type of product you tend to be make a make make a you tend to spend some time thinking about it yeah but i i think that that is also playing in it if marco's saying he wants to use objective c some people feel that is an offense towards them using swift Mm. but i don't think that's necessary i think two people one person using objective c the other person using swift can both have made the right decision for their circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, otherwise we would all do the same thing in life. Like, otherwise everyone's life would be the same, but yeah. it's not because everyone has different circumstances. Mm. Yeah. Just empathize with people, man. <laughs> so, Halo, huh? Did either of you try the Marzipan uh, converter, I suppose? Oh, no. No, I haven't. Have you? Okay. Uh, no, I haven't. I realized i probably should have before this 
uh, recording because that could have been something interesting to talk about. But maybe for next, do you still week? have to deactivate your system integ- integrity protection? Uh, do you? I don't know. That sounds. Like I don't know. That was with the like the earlier ones I played ah, with. Okay. You had to deactivate all your system integrity. I'm sure. Uh, protection. So I didn't want to do that. That, that sounds safe. Let's do that. <laughs> is it? Is the new converter new, or is it? Is there a new converter? No, it's uh, this week. It was a Steve Trouton Smith thing. It's called Marzipanify. Which is quite a mouthful. I still always guess recipes of how to make marzipan as soon as I search for this. <laughs> convert convert amounts of nuts almond paste. Amazing. Traditional oven. What do you Marzipan go- could be a big deal. Here we go. How do you yeah. call like well, sorry, what do you call this thing when everyone's calling it marzipan? I- yeah, I think that's just the name then. <laughs> Can you send me a link to this? Uh, sure. <laughs> This loads forever. I have not gotten to the site yet. High caffeine content. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's not that high in caffeine. <laughs> I had no issues whatsoever. Yeah, this you still have to uh, disable system integrity protection from recovery uh-huh. mode. And then uh, boot. Uh, add a boot argument to bypass Apple's mobile file integrity. So not dodgy at all then. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, maybe Maybe next week if I get some time. Next Saturday or okay. something, I'll maybe have a play yep. around, um, see how it goes. Mm. Could be interesting. Yeah, when I I played played around with it, like when it was uh, first, uh, I think it was also uh, Steve yeah, okay. Smith finding a way of of getting it running. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, I remember but, that. Was yeah, but I I just don't want to uh, circumvent all the system integrity protections and then make sure everything's back on mm-hmm. again. I can't wait till... Yeah, June. I mean, that's the thing. We'll get the proper tooling then, hopefully, and be able to make informed choices. Yeah, we don't we don't know this, do we? Did you say it will be a year? Yeah, it should be this year. Okay, cool. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, mm. Don't write any Mac apps, guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, it will be... It might be good. Yeah, I'd probably bring Petty across to the Mac. I think... Packtrack makes sense on the Mac, Kai. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, at least for me, I would use it. Yeah, yeah, I would use. I probably use it more on the Mac <laughs> than my phone. Yeah, me too. Um, I I plan to write like a Mac app for a while. Mm. I mean, I have the website, and that kind of works. Hmm. Uh, didn't get a lot of love in like the last three or four years, but it works. So I use that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, just bringing the iOS app over would would be pretty all right. I think. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Um, uh, the, the annoying thing is that like last year before DubDub I was sort of thinking like maybe I should start writing a Mac app I think that would be fun it would be a fun <laughs> experiment and uh, to try that out uh, I had this idea for an app I was interested in making too and now I'm a little bit like oh maybe I should at least wait and see what it is mm-hmm. about um, because I feel like it might it might be something useful because the type of app I'm interested in making is quite simple from a UI point of view so I might wait mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Could be a fun uh, summer project for you. Yeah, but now when we have real winter, our summer projects usually are being outside <laughs> and and seeing the sun. See, and stuff. I really think I the Apple feel. year cycle thing, like news cycle and all that, is really it's really beneficial to live in the southern hemisphere for this because during the winter <laughs> you get all the good stuff. By the start of summer, everything's stable again, and you have shiny new devices, and everyone like everything shuts down. 
you get no news for a few months, you go and enjoy your summer, then you get back to work for the year and all the news cycle starts up again. Like it's suddenly it's March and you've got rumored news subscription services and things like that. So, you know, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For that it is pretty yeah. good. If if you care at all about video games, it really sucks because all of them come out in like towards Christmas ah, okay. because that's when people buy uh games. So it's if- good though, because people don't want to be outside during Christmas. It's too cold. Yeah. Exactly, but in Australia, it's like people you want to be outside, so you don't have yeah. time. Yeah, it's true. interesting when like indies say, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to spend my whole summer avoiding my family and updating my app for iOS 13." It's like, oh, no one has that <laughs> problem in Australia. It's actually kind of nice. We, we need like the more excuses to be inside at night, the better. Really. <laughs> uh, speaking of excuses to be inside, um, I've seen that. Uh, Speaking of things that also fly around on Twitter, um, you probably Man, two turned... Segues. Pardon? Two segues. Yeah, That's two amazing. segues for the price of one. Yeah. Um, Zach, did you turn on two-factor authentication on your uh, developer Apple ID? Um, I've had two-factor authentication on my developer Apple ID enabled for years now, but as mobile phone number two-factor so the insecure form so the two-step yeah two-step verification it's it's a very confusing difference Mm. it's like i have the setup and then no no especially especially considering that two-factor still has a text message fallback i know yeah yeah so it's anyway Um, but i heard you did or didn't or so did you did so did you migrate to two-factor no no Oh. So, so you could what? stay with two Don't step and it would and it still works. Uh it's fine. Um yeah, it doesn't seem to be a problem. C- can you go to developer.apple.com and log in? All right, all right. Let me do this. <laughs> because there's actually uh, I learned some new things about Apple IDs uh, over the last few days. More more than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> no knowledge is too much knowledge. Uh Wait for this story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just logged in and oh, it wants me to turn on two fact. <laughs> <laughs> don't do this now. Also, yeah, don't do that now. No, 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 I'm not doing this now. Also, um, the fun thing is, you know how in Xcode you can kind of gather crash reports if you're using uh, Apple's crash reporting stuff. Yes. You can't do that without using two-factor. So you can still log into App Store Connect without problem, mm-hmm. uh, without turning on two-factor. So you can still use, like, you can still create new apps, you can still do those kind of things, but you can't access your crush reports, you can't log into your developer account. You probably wouldn't be able to sign up for WWDC either. You should probably turn it on. Oh, that's a really good reason to fix this then. I know. <laughs> <sighs> Which is which is which one is, of the which, core reasons yeah. for me that I wanted to to get that all uh, set up too. So uh, with that, can I assume that you already set it up for yourself? <laughs> because no one would want to risk losing out on DubDub, right? Yeah. So so I thought, hey, this should be easy, right? I I've done two factor on my main account. That was not a problem. I even did the f- two step first and then moved over to two factor. Everything easy peasy, not a problem at all. Want to do the same thing for my um, developer account because it makes sense, right, to have a different developer uh, account from your main account for, for different reasons. So I had that. Uh, log in, trying to turn on two-factor. It's like, 
All right, not a problem. Just tell us your uh, answer, your security questions. Where did your parents meet? What is your dream job? I'm like, really? No, what was your dream job growing up? Yeah. Because like, that doesn't change on a weekly basis. <laughs> but it's like, that is that is weird. I mean, I put in where my parents met. That was an easy one. Um, but I, I was fairly confident that um, I just generated something. So I looked through one password, looked through my keychain, looked everywhere I could to try to find those generated questions. And I just couldn't find them anywhere. Looked through notes, looked everywhere I could have potentially saved those generated questions. But nothing. So I was like, okay, there is an option right underneath that says um, reset. Um, what does it say? Reset uh, secu security questions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, that shouldn't be too bad. And then I get to this page that says uh, we don't have enough information for you to reset your security questions. Full I stop. would assume That's that it. you have to answer your security question in order to change them. No, no, it's actually like a reset them because I forgot them. Oh, that sounds a bit. So, but then it's also, all that page tells you is we don't have enough information to reset your security questions. Full stop. Nothing. No contact us. No, this is an alternative way you could try or anything. It's just, we can do this. Like, hmm. Well, that sucks. So then obviously my next uh, step was, all right, let's uh, go through the uh, support and say, I want to talk to support, want to... Um, because I have problems accessing my account or something. And then uh, the form uh, lets you select your phone number where Apple should call you through the initial f form I want to go through. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like, it only offered me um, the plus six one number for my phone number, because for some reason it thought I was still in Australia, even though I 100% changed my developer account to from from Canada uh, from Australia to Canada because I've done all the all the new agreements you have to sign. I gave them all my social security information and everything else that you have to. <laughs> you do. even send them two thousand dollars <laughs> to their to their uh, South African uh, uh, prince. Prince, yeah, yeah. Only two thousand dollars. That's a pretty good deal. It's all right. <laughs> uh, two thousand a week. It's a subscription service. <laughs> oh. That's not bad. That's okay. Scam providers now move to subscriptions <laughs> for for more reliable revenue. It's actually, not a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that way, Apple can also take a thirty percent cut and increase their service revenue. It's mm. all working out. Um, anyway, so I was like, "Oh, that's annoying." All right, just call the regular phone number. Went through the the bot, then told them, "Hey, I would like to uh, reset my security questions." And the per first person on the phone was really nice. Um, she she tried to help me out. She had to go through the steps again of answering uh, my um, like she had to ask me for my security questions. So apparently they, uh, I don't know exactly how it works, but they are more lenient for for spelling of security questions when they enter them. They're like, all right, let, let me just try it. Sometimes it works that if we enter them, they go through. Of course, it didn't because I said I have absolutely no idea and had to just, I don't know, even, I, I said there's no not a chance I answered what my favorite or my, my dream job was. Um, so then we went into the next step and it was um, wanting to have my credit card information. <laughs> um and it was some super old credit card. She knew the last four digits, right? So she could tell no, you. No, 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 no. No? I, I knew the last four digits because I, I, by the time, because I wanted to turn on two-factor, created another uh, 
Apple uh, another user account on my Mac and mm -hmm. I logged into that one successfully. And then if you go in um, in your iCloud settings and you look at your account, you can see what credit card is on oh, file. Okay. So I knew the last four digits from that. Okay. Um, but that was still a super, super old Australian credit card that I didn't have anymore um, because I... Uh, I paid my developer uh, account with a different card. So I had a different card for the developer account and I had for the main Apple ID because, as I said, it's only developer uh, Apple ID. I don't pay anything on there. So uh, then I needed some time to find it. Uh, and uh, then by the time I, I finally found the expiry date on, my, uh, on that card, um, her form timed out and she couldn't re-enter re-trigger that question so she had to go through all of the security so she had to go again? through all of that again and then it wouldn't ask her for credit card anymore because now that was somehow internally marked as a thing that couldn't be asked anymore because that card was now flagged as not a form of authentication so then another option was to that's normal yeah it's like, <laughs> ugh, really so then an option was to talk about purchases i've made but i've never made any purchases <laughs> on that account that's apart an easy from question, though. the apple developer account and dub dub tickets and those kind of things but that doesn't show up in in the system that she had so that was no good so then the suggestion was that i should add a new credit card to that account um because then that card would not be flagged anymore um, that sort of makes sense. Uh, and then but then can, you need to log into your account, right? And then... In no, that was, that was not a problem. Okay. Um, so adding a new card, and then we could use that card to authenticate me, which is kind of weird. Uh, this feels way. weird, because... Yeah, it's the card I just added. Yeah. I can now use to verify that I'm me. Yeah, it sounds a bit It insecure. is a bit weird. Yeah. But even for that, it was... Uh, turns out my, my Apple ID was still um, set to Australia, but my developer account was set to Canada. So now I also had to change my the region mm. of my... Since you had a Canadian credit card, you couldn't add it if you didn't I change the region. I couldn't add a new Canadian credit card, oh, exactly, because yeah. my account was set to Australia. So I, I did also have an Australian credit card, but we said, all right, let's right, let's, now we're already on that, let's also change that. So I tried to enter my new... Canadian credit card that I have here, uh, Apple system rejected that, saying invalid payment method. That's it, invalid payment method. And I was at that point, I was already with second or third level Apple support uh, on the phone because they just dispatched me to their supervisors multiple times. Um, so uh, yeah, I couldn't add, enter a new credit card because it's that invalid uh, payment method. So then they did something uh, behind the scenes and said, all right, try again, and then it magically went through. So that means now my, my account is set to, to Canada for Apple ID as well as developers, so that was good. The new credit card was entered, that was good. But for some reason, now that card wouldn't show up. So then I, uh, I was dispatched back to someone from the Apple ID support team, I think. And... Um, I had to go through the entire process again, saying what my problem was, saying what we already tried, that we changed now the credit card. And then the person told me, yeah, we can't uh, use a credit card to, to authenticate you. Um, my, my suggestion would be just create a new Apple idea. <laughs> are you serious? Uh, <laughs> are they going to transfer your apps? <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, what about apps and, and like other things? They're like, 
Well, there are no apps no more. Yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Maybe I should, I can. Uh, I meant your like app store apps, but yeah, yeah. I yeah. know, I know. That's it's like, are they? Will they be transferred? And I was like, oh yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Well, let me, let me, let me, t- let me talk to someone in the iTunes Connect team. I was like, oh man. And by this t- this point, it already took over three hours. If you think me going through those steps now with you explaining what happened takes long, you should have been there. Um, yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, Marlon was there. Yeah, so after after three hours of back and forth and changing everything about my Apple ID, apparently now I was in a weird state where they didn't have enough information now because everything changed. They, uh, at least that person couldn't use any of that to authenticate. Then they're telling me that I should talk to the uh, to iTunes, to the iTunes Connect support team to transfer my app to a new Apple ID. So then I said, "All right, I won't do that now." Uh, I'll, and I just knew that person was not likely going to actually figure out what's going on and helping me. So uh, I hung up. Then uh, called back. You again. said thank you for your time, and then you hung. Yeah, I, I was. I was friendly. Um, I mean, everyone was super friendly. I just this person was clearly not. I mean, sometimes you have that, right? You call it. You call a support. Sometimes you talk to a person and they're like, oh, this is weird. I fig- Let's figure out how to do that. And sometimes you get a person that just reads you from the, from, the, uh, from the guide that they were given. Yeah, so I figured, all right, this is not going to work. Uh, called again, tried to log, uh, um, uh, talk to a new person, tried to generate a new PIN, and then um, my app ID just said that my security questions were answered incorrectly too many times and that i'm now having an eight hour timeout so now i'm currently in my in my waiting period uh, and i will call them back tomorrow morning probably so what's happening with your account it doesn't have two-factor but you can't properly log into things is that i i can log to everything that still lets you log in without having two-factor okay on. so you can't log into the developer site so though. i can log into app store connect but i can't log into developer.apply <sighs> but you could why can you log into um to App Store Connect. Because App Store Connect doesn't enforce two-factor. <laughs> Are you sure? I, should... I thought that was the main reason they did this. No, it is. You can't. It's just developer at the moment. From all I can see, it's only developer.apple. So why was this something that they want to enforce all of a sudden? What is it on developer.apple.com that they really don't want anyone else to get access to? Because mm-hmm. that basically just has your credit card information and your um, address information, right? Yeah, I- I mean, it would be dub-dub tickets. It's probably, if Apple goes more into developer-related services at dub-dub, it probably makes sense to secure that. Yeah, but too. I think it makes sense to secure your your App Store Connect account, yeah, too. Yeah, you think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least I you mean, can still access just an it. Oversight. This entire, none of those systems work together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all super disconnected from one another. And, and, and I mean... They're they're all they were designed for for very different purposes uh, a very long time ago, um, and I mean we were talking about rewriting apps um, earlier in this episode, but <laughs> this might be a good use case for rewriting some stuff because, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone that started that project is still at Apple today. I would be surprised. When I was talking to the four or five different support people over the last few days. Every single person told me a different way of of getting to the same stage, like to to change the region. Every person I talked to said I should go through a different different path. Some people, like the iTunes iTunes support people, always say go to iTunes and go to account there. Another person said you have to do it from an iPhone. 
So they wanted to uh, make me log out to my main uh, iCloud account. Um, I said I do it through the Mac. They said you can't do it through the Mac, but I did it through the Mac anyway because Ooh, of you're you such, can. A, such a rebel. Yeah, I know. But it's like they're they're like eleven ways of of doing the same thing mm. now because all those systems are so dispatched, and we're all developed in 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 like uh, in different times for different use cases. Um, yeah, so at the moment you can still log into App Store Connect, but not developer.apple.com. Um, and I hope I get that resolved at some point. So I think I think the the conclusion of this story, Zach, is that you should go ahead and change your uh, setup two factor authentication because it's super easy. Yeah, and I'll fun. just set aside a week and um, yeah, yeah, take some time off and ring support. Uh, yeah, yeah, sounds sounds great. In general, security questions are just ridiculous. Like if if you actually use security questions to secure your account, you're you're lost. <laughs> because it's like it's sometimes. I mean, by far, I'm not the first person to complain about security questions. But what kind of system is that? It's like we all use like, I mean, not all of us, but a good chunk of us use like thirty-two, sixty-four digit auto-generated passwords with numbers mm-hmm. and special characters, and store them in one password. And then your security question is, "What's your last name?" <laughs> What's your favorite color? I'm like, really? <laughs> this is like one minute of Googling and then blue. Because where, most where people have either blue, or blue, green, or red. You, it's like, Sounds like you post it on social media. What your favorite favorite color is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, uh, how how is that a thing that, that we're still doing? Security questions. Anyway. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been complaining about this before. Uh, not in the podcast, but I think, I think everyone will get the gist of yeah. it. I mean, mine are really hard to crack. So if anyone is uh, <laughs> yeah, up for a challenge, I don't know them. But if if you want to give it a shot, more than happy. Yeah, use the uh, the one password password word generator thing and just paste those in the security questions. It's great. That's what I did. I just I must have lost some. See, see, now doing it the improper way is working against you. If only yeah. you picked the yeah. red, green, and blue answers, it would have been so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I should I, I think I should probably look at my old keychain because I'm hundred percent sure that I generated those those answers. So they would be somewhere <sighs> Yeah. I'll get there. I yeah, hope. yeah. Good luck with that. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that was uh I feel like everyone is kinda of talking about Apple ID issues uh this week, so I feel like we're we're only a real podcast. Yeah, we're we do we're the on same. brand here. That's awesome. Did you update your account, Marlin? I had it for a long time. Well, look at you. Yeah. Uh, well, when you're the only one of us who gets a dub dub ticket, we'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> because we're still trying to get back into our accounts. <laughs> um. So I've been using Streaks a lot. Woo! It's a really good app. I know we've been talking about Streaks plenty of times. So uh, I mentioned in the not related to the fact that it was January, but it happened to be January. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned. I'm very conscious of of not making it related to New Year's. Things at all. I don't even want to say the, the calendar word. just mm-mm, happened mm-mm. to tick over when we when yeah. we started talking about it. It was just January. It was a good time <laughs> in the year to explore new options for apps. Mm. Um, I mean, I had been using Streaks for a while, uh, but I hadn't really <sighs> fulfilled my Streaks. Um, but now I started using Streaks um, a lot, and I set up a lot of different. I think I have eight different things that I want to have Streaks in, and this is such a motivating app to use. It's amazing. Um, I'm going to say what I've done. Um, 
So our apartment is much cleaner since I started <laughs> using streaks. It's amazing. Like this is so motivating to me. Um, just setting like a streak for something is really sort of helping me have a better routine. And I think that was what my goal with this was. I wanted to have a good routine um, so that I can keep on top of things and just have a better, more consistent schedule and also live a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, this this is not a prof- this is not an ad, um, but one thing I wanted to do was to exercise um, a bit more regularly, and I thought something like streaks is actually really useful for that. Um, I've been exercising; my longest streak is thirty eight days. Whoa, that's good. Um, which is really good. Unfortunately, I had to turn it. I had so I wanted to exercise every day. Um, I have done that most of the time, except from a week when I was getting sick. So I did turn it off for some selected days uh, because I felt like it's unfair for me to lose my streak just because I'm sick. Because that was not actually... It wasn't that I didn't want to do it. It was just that I was actually too exhausted or laying in bed for 20 hours a day, so I shouldn't do it. Um, but overall, exercising is working out really well. Like I'm, I'm super excited about this. I'm doing like yoga and other type of strength exercises. I'm also started going down to a gym in our building uh, and lift some weight. It's mostly just to stay healthy and to like take care of things like back problems. Uh, I feel so much better. I used to like really feel stiff midday uh, and now I feel so much better and I feel somehow because I'm exercising in the morning um, it's like a re- really nice kickstarter to the day. Like I'm actually really feeling more energized when I get to work and also it's like it feels like a good day to it feels like a good start on the day to actually just have an achievement earn in the day because you can take it off in streak um yeah so i just want to say that this app has really been helping me um and you guys should use it um and it's also like i'm I'm very happy that i have a better routine to be fair my bedtime uh streak is not getting much love at the moment um but I'm getting yeah, here. and using streaks some more also it just shows the limitation of Apple's activity app because it turns <laughs> out um, why do you always complain about everything? It's it's just I I realized the other day that um, I don't know if you remember Zach I had quite a long uh, longest move streak badge uh-huh. for 561 mm-hmm. days and turns out I lost that in on uh, December 29th. And I, lo- I didn't uh, notice. Yeah. I think I lost my two when I was sick. And there was no no urgency from... from. I, I feel like if you have a streak for 561 days, y- your phone and your watch should make really, really sure you're aware that you're, you're going to miss uh, your, your longest move streak by like 12 calories. I feel like mm-hmm. your device should, should increase the urgency to remind you about your move streak. If you have a lot, the longer the streak gets. There's absolutely no smarts there about when it shows the notifications for anything related to activity. So it's like I finished, uh, I finished at the gym on Thursday or Friday morning, probably Thursday morning, and it's like I was four kilojoules off my daily target. So that's one calorie for those following along in the weird system. <laughs> uh, four kilojoules <laughs> off my daily target, and it's like way to go. There's still time to close your move ring, and it's like. Nah, no way. There's still 18 hours in the day to go. Thank you so much for that really timely reminder. It was, it was the kind of notification I'd expect at maybe 6 or 7 p.m. or something, you know, saying, come on. Yeah. But not just finishing a workout when there's 
a 100% chance I will fill this ring <laughs> because I'm, I, I was walking as I got the notification. So it's like probably <laughs> once you factor in the last 30 seconds of my walking, I've already hit that goal. Like it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You would have to try really hard to just fall over and not move for the rest of just the day. Just be unconscious. Yeah. Taking the watch off would probably burn more energy <laughs> than yeah. it would take to fill that ring. Yeah. And that's the problem, right? That kind of makes you start ignoring those notifications because you're like, they're so relevant, so unrelated to the current state of my day, despite yeah. the watch knowing everything about the one, it. The one that I really dislike is when it's like eight in the morning, I get the reminder to stand up and it's like almost there. You just have to stand up now. And it doesn't say how many times, but it's literally 11, <laughs> ti- 11 times left that I have to stand up. I just woke up and I'm like, is hey, serious? Mm-hmm. It's not. I'm not almost there. I have eleven freaking hours left, and it's so. Free- but they're the same thing, right? Really- if you if you want to fill the twelve yeah. hours thing, there should be more more urgency when you're when you only have ten ten hours left on the day. If you if you have to stand another ten full hours, yeah. like f- ten times, and there are only ten hours left in your day, or even ten hours to whatever your bedtime is set. The, sh- the urgency know, of those notifications should increase. That's the frustrating part too. You tell them your bedtime. Yeah. They should be able to figure this out. Yeah. So yeah. add that to the dub dub wish list. Yeah. Yeah. Some smarter, smarter activity notifications would be amazing. Yeah. Or none at all. No. Um, yeah, but that's the thing, right? For me, when I see them, I I, I don't even look at them anymore no, no, because like, they're they're so irrelevant um, hmm. to the actual state of my day that I just try to keep track like i set myself reminders to check <laughs> so you think because you said that this is something that streak made you more aware of are you using streaks for something like move goals instead yeah for for walks and for like activity like i i in streaks i just use it uh step based uh rather than okay. than apple's system okay but yeah i feel like those those notifications there are a lot more relevant to to my day and you have the op- options to to be a bit more flexible. Like if you if you're terribly sick a day, you, you can you yeah. can not lose your streak yeah. as a result of That's that. That's what I really liked about this because, like, I think Zach, we've been talking before about having like rest days, uh, and it's nothing that Apple allows you to do. Uh, but this is something I feel like streak really helps, mm. and it's it's annoying because, like I said, if you're like really sick, you should probably not exercise as much as mm. other days. Absolutely, it's probably healthier to take that day off. In general, if you're exercising yeah. every day, it's probably healthier to have a day off a week anyway. Um, mm. yeah. But hey, you know, and I really like using uh, streaks in combination with auto sleep for bedtime. Mm. Ah, so you can okay. in streaks set that you want to go to bed before a specific mm-hmm. time. And then it just syncs that with um with health health kit. So if you use auto sleep for your sleep time, then it will just um automatically check that off if you go to bed in time. Do you know if you would? Uh, so if I'm using something like auto sleep that starts counting when I go to bed, mm-hmm. but then if I wake up in the night and touch my phone and like look at the phone, um. Do I lose the streak then? Does that mean that I didn't go to bed? In no, time? no. So it still uh-huh. knows when you go no? to sleep. It will just count the time that you've handled your phone as not. Um, assuming you're talking about auto sleep calculations and not streaks. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, both. Because if that syncs with streaks, would I still get the streak for going to bed before? I think if you say, um, I think just from using that combination. I think if you're saying your bedtime is ten. Mm-hmm. And you go to bed at nine fifty, 
and you're just laying down for 10 minutes and then at at 10.01 you use your phone mm -hmm. it doesn't count as as sleep yet so oh, then you will okay. lose no but if you handle it at like 2.30 in the morning you'll be right okay because that could theoretically That could theoretically have been all you going to sleep that night anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's mostly if if you would if if it's very likely that you didn't actually fall asleep yet, but you're still using your phone, then you're not getting a streak. But if if it's likely that you have slept for for a certain amount of time, I don't know if if it needs to be at least midnight. I don't know if there's any anything related to that. No, no. But if if I just check the time in the morning or something, then it's it's not a problem at all. Yeah, no. I I mean, I have to. I I used to be really good about not handling my phone overnight, um, just because obviously it's better to not do that when you need to wake up. But um, since using the Dexcom, there are times when you absolutely have to, or else you will be woken every mm -hmm. five minutes. Um, so. I've never had any problems with auto sleep and doing that. Like it's never misjudged my sleep time because I handled my phone three hours later. Um, things like that. It seems to handle. Okay. It just, it, I think it does treat uh, when you handle the phone, it treats that as a time you were awake, which is fair because obviously you mm -hmm. were. Um, mm -hmm. It even used to, it used to uh, have a minimum sort of time awake of 15 minutes. So if you handled your phone for five seconds, went back to sleep, fell asleep straight away, it would treat that, 15 minute block as time awake but in a recent update it doesn't do that anymore so i find it even more accurate where if i'm only awake for five minutes then i guess it's using the data from the phone but also the apple watch to know that oh you did fall back asleep a few minutes later your heart rate dipped you you were still or whatever whatever calculations it's doing mm -hmm. um so it's gotten even better about uh being more accurate as to how long you woke up for when you were awake overnight which is really impressive hmm. um yeah so That's pretty much all I want to talk about. Yeah, I also really enjoyed that. And it's also nice through... I mean, HealthKit is really nice to kind of combine those things. Uh, the, I, I really like using the combination of auto-sleep and streaks as an example. Mm. Uh, I think those kind of things are, are quite powerful to combine. And I, I just feel like streaks handles streaks a lot better than, than <laughs> Apple's activity app does. Mm. You still use it too, right? Tech? Streaks, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Not at the moment. Um, I did use it to build some habits, which have kept going. Oh, so good. I stopped using streaks. Um, okay. The, the big one for me was marking off 20 minutes of reading a night to get into the habit when I bought a Kindle of reading before bed. Mm -hmm. um, I got I got into a pretty good habit with that where... I don't read every night, but I read most nights and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Like the way that I see it is streaks did its job in building that habit. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, my goal isn't to be reading 20 minutes a night, seven days a week, because some nights you feel like reading longer and other nights you don't feel like reading at all. And that's perfectly fine. Yep. But I'm, I feel like I'm in enough of a habit with that now um, that I'm okay with not marking it off in streaks. Um, some of the mm. other like yeah, health nice. and fitness ones, I found it was just marking them off automatically, but most of the, you know, because it pulls data from HealthKit, which is really good, but most of those were achieved by just closing the rings every day anyway. Um, mm. So, there were a few other things that I used for a bit to build habits, but then things became habits, so I'm not using it anymore. Um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Like, it's probably good because the app achieved its purpose, but no, it's, it's bad because I'm not using the app. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, But I guess, what but that's like do if now. you have a stop smoking app, 
and you're saying, oh, uh, I'm not using the app anymore because I stopped smoking. That is definitely a success. Correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think what you could do is to, like, now if you feel like you've gotten into those habits, you can start adding new Absolutely. Things. And if I was trying to build a daily habit, I'd absolutely be going back to streaks. Like, it is the best mm. app for those kind of things. And I think it it's fun and rewarding to mark things as complete for the day. I know. Mm. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how human brains work that way it's like if i can mark something up i will be so much more excited to do this it's very strange that like this i mean i'm not getting an award or anything i'm not getting uh, like a physical thing or anything but it's just really ex- like really satisfying um to be able to just mark it up mm. um you mentioned that you're reading book sack that's actually one of my streak that i want to nice. nice um start now um but i'm looking for a book to read do you have any recommendations are you reading mostly fiction or what type of books do you tend to read? Mostly non-fiction, actually, which... All right. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. It's, it's interesting you say that because, like, I think it sounds better to be like, oh, I'd like to read non-fiction. But I find myself wanting to read fiction. And then when I try and read fiction, I can't. I think it's a flaw in my... Okay. I used to be really good at it. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. The internet's probably screwed my brain into something that can't appreciate a good fiction novel. <laughs> Um, but nonfiction, <laughs> I, I do have a recommendation. Because, because the internet is too exciting? or uh, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't really want to hypothesize. Or so many things on the internet are fiction? <laughs> uh, just, I find that I don't... Um, that because I'm only reading for maybe... T- like, realistically, most nights, it's probably only like 10 minutes. It takes forever to mm-hmm. finish a novel. And that's okay. Like, I'm not... Uh, I'm not... I'm okay with only reading 10 minutes, but the problem then becomes that, you know, in four weeks time when you're still finishing up the same book, it's like really difficult to remember exactly what happened four weeks ago. And okay. I think I think that might be part of the problem that maybe if I... So, it's harder with something like this, like that has more of a story. Right, yeah. If I set out to read yeah. the same novel over the course of a week, then it's probably problem solved. Mm. Um, but at the moment, that's not what I'm trying to do when I'm reading. So, maybe I just need to shift my focus from reading as something to relax to reading more for enjoyment and entertainment and then put aside 30, 40, 50 minutes a night to do that, maybe. Um, I don't know. Um do you have any good recommendation for non Yeah, I can recommend you the book I'm reading at the moment, actually, um, which let me pull up the name. All right. Okay, so it's called The Best Place to Work by Ron Friedman. Okay. Um, and it's all about sort of workplace structures and environments and what makes employees more motivated as opposed to workplaces which are demotivating. Um, Interesting. That oh. was a big topic of conversation during our long walk oh, today. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, that's perfectly on brand. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking for books in a similar area uh, or more about like, um, I guess how to have good, uh, more about like com- com- communication in like anything from like the workspace to community to like meetup groups and those type of things. So I was looking for those type of books. Um, but it sounds quite interesting. Like it sounds very similar <laughs> styles. So I think I would pick that up. That's- Really good then. What is it called? It's called The Best Place to Work. Yeah. It's actually got, it's one of those books with a super long title that's probably super long for Amazon rankings, but the gist of it is The Best Place to Work. Uh, and it's by Ron Friedman. So that's the easy way to uh, find out the correct one. 
Um, I find that topic really, really fascinating and is something that I've been thinking a bit about lately and partly because of this book and partly because it's just something that crosses my mind a lot. Um, mm-hmm. j- yeah. Uh, I don't know if you, either if you listen to the latest Hello Internet, but I thought that was a great episode. The one where they talk about uh, Brady getting an office. Or maybe getting an office. No. Oh, no. Okay. Maybe we can talk about it next week if you if you get the chance to listen. Yeah, let's do but that. I thought that it was a really good episode. And yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it because, you know, it'd be more fun if you listen to it. But mm. it was good. So be keen to know what you think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I, think, I do think those topics are very fascinating because I feel like I've been working in a fair bit of different companies and everyone works quite differently and people seem to be... I mean, it has an impact on the people in the company, and you really notice that. I feel like it's something that I've been observing a lot, um, just um, just because I've been in in companies, um, and I think it's very interesting. And then um, we've been talking about this before. We listened to the the Good Place the podcast, uh, which is basically about how writers are working together, or how people in that creative fields are working together and working together with actors. And I think. It's sort of similar to a way that I think software development works really well. Um, and I think it's always it's interesting to see how different type of areas can work very similarly. Uh, and, but then like an area like, I don't, I don't know much about like law firms, but I can imagine that being a bit stricter and a little bit different of a workspace. So I do think it's very interesting to look at those different ways of working and just see how people are motivated in those different ways. It's quite interesting that you say you thought that... Um the way that the writers are working uh, can be, there are parallels to, to software development. And I think it all comes back down mm. to it being creative. Mm, and mm-hmm. it is really interesting how like creative tasks need a different kind of environment to other tasks. It's, it's fascinating. I don't know. It's something I, I enjoy thinking about and enjoy reading and listening to things on that mm. topic as well. So if you enjoy the book, that'd be that'd be great, and maybe we, maybe that can be something we speak about on the podcast. Yeah, I found my favorite three star review on Amazon for the book. Uh, <laughs> it's a three star uh, review with <laughs> uh, with the description of as described. <laughs> but that's like that's it's actually a very apt review. I know that it's a joke, but the book is like it's basically what you'd expect. Um, it talks about all the things you'd expect. It raises some very interesting points that are thought-provoking, but it's not bait and switch like some of these books are. It's what you'd expect. It's good. Hmm. Cool. So what does Ron Friedman say is the best place to work? Okay, you have to read a book. It's not... He doesn't give a specific place as the best place to work. It's more about what makes a good environment. <laughs> it does draw on examples of, you know, like the Google a Google campus, I think, is something that comes up time and time again when you're talking about these kind of things because of the luxuries okay. that, that Google employees get. And so, it is interesting to draw on the examples from tech companies as well as um, not tech companies. So, hmm. But is it focused on on how, how, to, how you work at work or is it like... Perks are nice for people. More the what what environments are motivating for employees? That's what it comes down to generally, mm. um, and how the environment affects your work. But environment, as in generic team, dropped into an environment, or is the team part of the environment? In this case, it's more about the environment and um, a, a team as well, because it does talk about management and things like that, and how that can affect okay um, employees and their their. I guess work ethic. So yeah, because I I, I find that part uh, lately more interesting. Mm-hmm. Because the other one is always something 
like if you're saying like just hypothetical someone would say google's work environment is, is perfect I'm like oh, all right just give me 12 billion dollars and i copy yeah that. yeah sure it's just not something you can really like if if you start something it's hard to to just copy that part well i feel like the team dynamic and team motivation and kind of the 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 common goal of where you want to get yeah. with whatever you're working on that's something you can do no matter what your financial situation is and i think yeah that's the thing like perks is nothing that everyone can offer and i think it shouldn't be the only reason you work somewhere i think like apple doesn't give you food for example uh, you have to pay for your own food and i think that's sort of good because people don't choose apple just for for the perks um but i do think but apple has one thing that i think huge is, other perks that you know yeah yeah, yeah. anyway yeah <laughs> Uh, but I do think it's also important to think about that uh, just because it worked for Google doesn't mean it works for everyone. And yeah, to yeah. really look at it on a company, on, on a team-based level and on a people-based level, because every team is different. Every team is uh, having different right? type of people. All, in the, all people are different. Yeah, like we said earlier, everyone has different ways of doing things. Everyone has different reasons for doing things. Everyone works different and everyone is comfortable in different environments. Uh, so you have to be flexible. So that's good to hear that they're not saying this is the company you should follow. It's rather, mm. hopefully, I'm hoping the book is a little bit more flexible than that. But it's also, it's, it's, it's sometimes that people see something working once and then they just try to force the same thing everywhere. But every team is, because all people are different, all teams by definition also are different. And therefore, whatever works for one team doesn't necessarily have to work for all teams. Yeah, there are probably yeah. certain things that you can kind of extract and say, hey, overall, I feel like this is a good starting point from which you then adjust for your your specific team. But it's still, it would be very strange if you if you work in a completely different team and the exact same way of working work, works in the exact, uh, turns out to work in the exact same way, despite having completely different people. Um so it's, I, I do think it's very important to be flexible to figure out what does this team and this constellation of people need to be efficient, to be happy, to be satisfied. Because you, you might have someone, right? So you might have a team that isn't driven by the product, but by the tech. You might have people that really care about the product and not the tech. <laughs> <laughs> you say the same thing twice. I think so. Yeah. It's late. It's 9.30. It's not that late. That's <laughs> um, late for me. Let's talk about our the things of the week things. Things of the week. Woohoo! All right. So I heard you guys talking about, uh, while I was running and getting this, I heard you were talking about um, the terrible coffee places around where Zach is right now. That's what you started talking about? It is indeed. That Zach doesn't have any mm, coffee? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have a pick for you, Zach. Oh, um, I'm listening. And so we've been talking about AeroPress in earlier ver uh, earlier versions, earlier shows, <laughs> um, but we never actually talked about the grinder. I think a grinder is really important um, for you to have a good cup of coffee. Uh, and if you're not happy about any of the cafes around uh, where you're working at the moment, Zach, um, I think you should maybe start bringing an AeroPress to work. Uh, but if you also want like fresh grinded coffee... Um, that actually makes a huge difference. Um, I have started, or I've been using more using this thing more now. It's a um, small hand grinder. It's called a Porlex Mini Coffee Grinder Ceramic. Uh, this is a really cool grinder. Um, that's like it's based. It's smaller than the Aeropress. You could actually fit it like in the Aeropress if you want to transport them all together. Um, 
and I use it every day actually. I'm using it at work because I'm like to fresh my uh, freshly grind my beans uh, before making my AeroPress coffee. Um, and it's a really, really nice thing. It's like I just throw it in my bag and uh, I take it with me or keep it at work and just like fill up the beans. And then you can grind fresh coffee in like less than a minute, depending on how much force you want to put into it. It's a hand grinder, so it's a little bit different from like just like turning on the grinder, but it's not very exhausting, I think. Uh, and it works really well. So um, this is my pick. Um and it has a ceramic blade. Um, it's um, it's very adjustable too. So like depending on the type of bean you're using, you can adjust it. And yeah, I really recommend it if you want to go to that extent that you want to grind your own beans. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I was saying, Kai, that I'm going back to uni next week. So I think that'll get me through for a while. But once uni's done, I'm going to need some good coffee. So I will, I will <laughs> hang on to these yeah. suggestions and uh, decide towards the end of the year what happens. But yeah. thanks. It's good to have a... Listen. And also, like, if for any listener, like, if you're just going camping, this is really good as well because it's so portable. Mm. Mm. You use, you've been using it too, Kai, right? Yeah, I've. We, I mean, it's in general. I think if 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 you like coffee, it's a good thing to have around because it just me- means you can if if you go somewhere for a few days and you either want to be super coffee snobby uh, mm. or uh you want to look coffee snobby having a hand grinder definitely makes you look that way <laughs> um, if you can't grow a beard buy a hand grinder <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but it's it's just it's it's a good grinder in general i mean uh you should use spur grinders for for your coffee uh so if uh if you happen to live in a household where people only have uh, blade grinders or anything else, or buy pre-ground coffee or some some craziness like that, it's also a really cheap way of getting into uh, better quality coffee. And it's also just re- a lot cheaper. I think you can get the Polix Mini for like 20, 30 <laughs> I bucks. Look the- oh, okay. Now I get to the Canadian page. It's this one directly from... I think this is uh, sent from Japan. It's seventy-five dollars, but I'm sure we only paid less than fifty dollars for this. Right, guy? I mean, as I as I said, uh, they are usually um, relatively cheap. Yeah. So usually you would get them for. I mean, even if if wherever you happen to be, a Porlex is more expensive. You can also get something like the Hario uh, coffee mill. They're they're kind of similar types. Of grinder, also burr grinder, also with ceramic burrs, and mm. like one of those kind of higher quality uh, hand grinders will you you will find for somewhere around thirty dollars. Yeah, and it's something you can use for like years. So yeah, it's really good. And it's I think if if you if you just getting into coffee or you just want to experiment more with with like actually grinding beans yourself it's also just a cheaper way of getting into it yeah it's obviously not great if you want to serve like coffee to six people coming over to your place you're gonna have to stand there for a while but if it's just for like one cup of coffee you want to taste different beans and you you don't want to like um like have a dedicated grinder for it i think it's really good because you can like easily measure and then just grind what you need and it's like a zero retention. It's not a lot of uh, grind that gets stuck it's, anywhere. It's, really it's just you grind straight through, which is pretty nice, which a lot of the electric grinders don't have. Mm. And it's also in particularly in particular useful if you're going for the more uh, pour over AeroPress style uh, grinds, because if you if you do want to grind for uh, espresso, uh, there's a lot of grinding to to get to uh, to to that kind of fine. Uh, 
ground. Fine grind. <laughs> Isn't that a thing? Fine grind? I don't know. Okay. But it's yeah, if if you go for the coarser grind, it's 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 not too much work. I would say it's probably a minute or two to get to a uh, cup of AeroPress coffee. But if you would go for for like a double espresso, you're probably grinding for minutes, like five, six minutes. Yeah, but if you go for a double shot espresso, you usually have an espresso machine and you usually have an electric grinder too. Yeah, yeah but my, my point is more, depends on what, what you want out of this. If, mm. if you every morning make uh, two double shot espressos for you and another person, I would probably not recommend a hand grinder. No, no. Unless, unless that you want to, you the the main workout for your day to be the coffee grinding in the morning. <laughs> At which point, hey, two birds, one stone. Uh, for any other way, I would recommend to go with an electric grinder if you if you grind that much, or even like a larger hand grinder. I mean, this is this is portable, so you can take it with you easily. Um, but the birds are not as large, and the the what do what do you call this thing that you're turning? The handle? Yeah. The handle isn't as as ergonomic as you would get with like a stat like a more more home hand grinder. Yeah. I mean home hand grinders they're also really expensive. The the bigger ones. Mm. Mm. You can get very fancy with grinders. Um we can have a whole episode about Almost it. everything in, in coffee you can get really fancy about. It's still cheaper than things like whiskey or um what is it called? Wine. Hmm. But we're, we're, I feel like we're approaching those kind of price ranges now for... I mean... Yeah, we're I don't looking at the new grinder that I we really want to buy. We're still on the edge because it's $600, but I think that it's a really good grinder. Yeah. But it's like you... I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent would be for um, for wine corkscrew. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, it is... Hand grinder is pretty cheap. Really good, easy way of getting into high quality grinders, um, and the Polex Mini is a good one. Hmm. Cool. Um, who wants to go next? Zach, do you want to go next? Uh, I can. Sure. Oh, I should check out this link you put in here, Zach. So mine is another um, charity donation. In this uh, instance if you've got a few dollars burning a hole in your pocket or your bank account and you want to get rid of them because they're annoying you um a very good cause to to donate that to we'll have a link in the show notes is um for the for a walk uh being organized by save our sons charity which is um fundraising for muscular dystrophy um which is a condition that affects uh Usually, usually young boys, but um, sometimes girls too. Uh, and it's a sort of bone, uh, a muscle condition where your muscles stop working um, slowly over time as you age. And um, as a, a side effect of that, well, your heart is a muscle uh, without going into more details. But yeah, basically, it's, uh, it's a terrible disease. Um, I know someone affected... Um, one of their their parents is uh, doing a walk to raise money for this. It's an insane walk. Uh, it's 172 kilometers over a week, oh, uh, which is really, long. really intense because what does that work out to per day? That is over the six days, it's 28.6 kilometers a day. Um, 
172. Oh, and this it's also in March. Like that's yeah, really warm. Yeah, so it's that that's happening there. next week, I think. Um, or this week. Sorry. Hmm. Um, this like the next the com- week coming, which is like starts March fourth. Anyway, um, to convert into miles, that is 106.8 miles over the course of a week. Um, which is or six days, I should say, which is a lot. Um, so it's a big, big, uh, big walk. Very, very worthy of your money if you have a few dollars to spare. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna go on about too much more, but it is definitely a worthwhile cause um, for people suffering with muscular dystrophy. Um, and yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes if you wish to donate. Um, yeah, you always have some nice picks there. <laughs> I mean, this is a really good cause. Uh, I course. appreciate that you picked it. Um, yeah. For for all my complaining yeah. about diabetes. Um, yeah, diabetes is nothing compared to to other things that people have mm-hmm. to live with and go through and all of that. So yeah, this is definitely one of the one of the worst ones, but um it's yeah, worth worth at least inform like at least being aware of um this disease and uh trying to help if you mm-hmm. can. Yeah, I think that's that is one of the areas that will be interesting for like people a lot of people are quite pessimistic for the future intake but i think for for those kind of medical conditions i i'm very optimistic for next uh couple of centuries that we make big steps of making those kind of things uh being able to to treat and improve lives for people that are affected with those types of diseases is it sickness disease what's the difference uh, a sickness is temporary. Yeah, I think it's a disease. Um, if once you get it, it's sort of, it's with you. And it is like, if, mm. if you know someone with muscular dystrophy, it is quite sad to sort of see that progression from, you know, them being a, a young kid sort of starting to struggle with everyday movements to then, you know, progressing to wheelchair and you know, things getting harder and harder. Mm. And yeah. Uh, At which age? Do you know how, which age it starts to? Um, I think it starts. I don't. I don't know the exact age. The person I know with it, um, the the symptoms were sort of noticeable from about like ten years old. Like they started to get noticeable. Um, I have also heard that the the life expectancy for people with muscular dystrophy is usually not much longer than twenty one. Um, so it sort of mm. it, it hits you fast. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, sort of you have a, a kind of crappy decade. Um, in which in which life is hard. Um, so anyway, this is another one of the the diseases that would be fantastic if there was one day a cure for or treatment or something. Um, or even even if it's more just about um a better quality of life. Um, from mm. the time that it affects you to the time that. Uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. Um. Yeah. <laughs> not not a not a pleasant thing to yeah, talk no, about. It's, but it's- yeah. Yeah, but I really appreciate when you pick when you have those picks because I think it's it is a really important thing to to talk about and to make people aware of. So I really appreciate that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Do you want to say your pick, Kai? Yeah, uh, it's always hard to go after that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my pick is less world improvement and and making the world a better place and more a way of uh looking at the world as it is right now your, your pick has um, definitely made let's say hours at a time better i i can't i can't disagree <laughs> with that 
Um, I don't know what this is, actually. Mac Tracker. Yeah, I don't know what this is. Uh, Mac Tracker is, uh, as I said, um, the the months, multiple months of uh, Mac apps I will p- pick. Um, Mac Tracker is a utility that shows you all uh, Apple products. Um, that are that Apple has released over over. Uh, oh, I seen you use this. It's so useful. Yeah, so it's yeah. basically a way of uh, of disp- for you to quickly find all the different Mac models that Apple has released over the decades of Apple releasing hardware. Um, I think initially it was only Macs, but now they also have all other devices, so Apple TVs and cameras and audio devices including like the ipod hi-fi and the uh, apple design powered speakers from 1993 and the apple design powered speakers 2 from may 1994 um uh, and airpods and homepod and everything it's it really contains uh and it, the, they keep on updating it as more and more products come yeah out. it's the yeah. most complete list of apple products and you can, uh, there are a lot of details in them. And yeah, Mac Tracker is being updated whenever there are new uh, Apple products coming out. You also out, get or a five-star rating. This is great. Or even um, new iOS versions and Mac and macOS versions. So you can also see which uh, uh, which um, varieties of software can run on which models and which the latest ones are, are that are still being supported. Uh, you can also change, uh, they have in the settings, they have quite a lot of options for you to say, uh, I want to see all my prices in Canadian dollars or Australian oh, really? dollars. So you can see what the prices for is those devices. Is that the price when they were released? Or That's right. It? Okay. Yeah. Um, for US dollar only, you can also, and I think maybe euros? I don't know. For certain currencies, you can even see the the current price. Um so that would mean like uh, basically like a resale price. Oh, okay. So not. So, so it would actually be if the product is still available to buy somewhere, you would get that price, or would it be like a predicted price? No, you can you can say like for certain models you can see hey how much you you can then see this was the initial price when it was released and this is the current price that you would pay. Um, on on like eBay or similar uh, okay, cool. secondhand stores. Um, mm. Yeah, but it's 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 super useful. It shows you like all the different uh, models that that were available, uh, and whenever I quickly want to see either how prices change over time, or uh, you can also add all the machines that you've had. So you can there's like a tab that shows you uh, my models. So you can actually add. Uh, your computer with the serial number oh, and cool. then you even get information based on the serial number that I can see. Uh, it shows which ones are still in warranty, which ones are leaving warranty, and which ones are out of warranty. It's just a really, really nice uh, tool to 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 keep track of all, all Apple products. Apple, That's really nice. Both the ones you, you wish you had and the ones you do actually have. Um, or the ones you're, <laughs> you're lucky you dodged. Um, <laughs> Also, if you just have like, if you're just curious about like what year something came out, you can use this. Mm. It's really nice. Yeah, good reference. And same for for iOS and iPhone OS. So you can even go back to um, I don't know if you go to software iOS, you can see the original iPhone OS uh, was introduced in June 2007, and you can see the built uh, built number that was released, and you can see that it went all the way to uh, 1.1.5. Uh, and when that was released, so you can even see like the the uh, 
the minor version updates and those kind of things. Um, it feels like a lot of work to have gotten all this data, like actually getting the, the old data for like older computers yeah. from the developer. It's impressive. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, but it's, it is really, really, really nice and handy too. And there's so much information about all those things. Yeah, I, uh, you can really spend a good amount of time just browsing through all the different different products, and it's it's just a really nice Mac app. And the iOS app is pretty nice too. Um, yeah, I I really like it. Awesome. Hmm. Cool. That's yeah. a good recommendation. And there's an iOS app as well if you prefer to do these things on iOS. Hmm. But but go for the Mac app. We need more Mac app. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And. I, I also think the timeline view is quite nice. So you can also select a specific year. So if you're curious uh, what what was released um, for a specific year, you can see all the Apple products and software, software and hardware that Apple would have released for a specific year. So yeah, it's it's I really I really like the Mac tracker. And also, uh, the Apple TV is cheap. I. I- don't know why. I didn't realize how inexpensive relative <laughs> to Apple products. It's, it's like the Apple TV dollar, is. right? Well, the third generation one was $99, but it the current one is apparently 249. Australia. How, how much are which AirPods? Which is so inexpensive. Uh, is this the same I think it's 230 off the top of my head, but yeah, I'll see what Mac Tracker says. And some people uh, only paid a dollar for the Apple TV. That's true. If you were a fancy developer. So yeah, AirPods are 229. Um, so AirPods are the same price as an Apple TV. There you go. Didn't mm. didn't realize. I don't know. We haven't bought an Apple TV in years, so I don't remember what the price was the last time we bought one. But mm. yeah, anyway. Yeah, but it's it's quite nice. It's um, Canadian developer, and I think it's free. I don't remember if I paid for it. I I hope I did. Otherwise, you should look this person up and give them money. Hmm. All right, that's good. Um, you can donate. <laughs> if you want to donate to a slightly less important cause, uh, there's also... <laughs> yeah. You can support the future of the Mac tracker development. Oh, you can even see the, the Geekbench results. So if you're oh, like, considering really cool, between yeah, different that Mac... that part's cool. Yeah. yeah. So if you're considering if you should go for the 2018 or the 2017... You know, like how to buy both devices and run... <laughs> Yeah, what, what, like, like what everyone else do. would usually do, yeah. buy both. Uh, and then and the bench. cool thing is they have like software here as well and accessories. Like they have the Apple TV remotes as oh, really? separate devices, which is really cool. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, you can yeah. see. Do they have like, like adapters and stuff too? No, right? I would assume so. Have a look. Mm, I think so. And even like very specific details, like if you, for example, the 2018 uh, MacBook Pro line got Bluetooth 5, while the 2017 still only has Mm. Bluetooth 4.2. Like you can even see those kind of very specific uh, things. Yeah, they have things like Apple, they don't have adapters as such, but it's like Apple Pencil is here, the Magic Keyboard, Magic Trackpad, Smart Keyboard, Folio Case, all those nice things. The Mighty Mouse, RIP. Um... Yeah. Here's one. The Apple Desktop Bus Mouse 2, which was for sale from January 93 to January 99. <laughs> I regret not picking one up. Oh, <laughs> missing out. Mm, I know. Uh, they have the circular Apple USB mouse. Mm-hmm. Discontinued. 
pretty quickly, about two years after it was introduced. I only heard terrible things about that. I never used it. <laughs> they even have the Macintosh mouse on here. Oh, wow. From 1984. Mm. Did you ever use the uh, the original Apple Mighty Mouse? Um, I don't think so. Mighty Mouse. No, I think the... Oh, um, the one with the, the little, little trackball? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. We, had some, um, we had some Macs at school. Oh, I might have one Mac at school, and it had one of those. Mm. Yeah, cool. they were they were the first time that uh, Apple did something with software and hardware, because it felt like they were clicking when you were scrolling, but it just made yeah. the sound. It didn't mm-hmm. actually. Uh, oh, it didn't actually have any resistance. No. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So that was the first. Uh, I mean, now everything does that, right? Yeah. The trackpads do that, and but and, now you have feedback, not just sound. Yeah, yeah. But it was like the first time. Like a, a software trick made you believe that something happens in hardware, which was pretty fun. And then uh, two weeks later, they were so full of grime that they wouldn't scroll anymore. But <laughs> no one has those kind of issues today anymore <laughs> with any Apple products. No. No, no, the keyboards are fine. We've come a long way. It's all well and good. 